So two years ago, I found myself in China with Jeff Wells, uh, one of the elders at that time, a guy named George Jones, and Mike Pohemus from this church. We had gone over to China, and we were visiting Melody Chandler there. And when we went, we were going to join in with a house church. And we had heard about these things. We had read about them. And we just show up, and, and we're all crammed in. And it was in the evening. Uh, we were crammed into this guy's bedroom. Okay, so this bedroom is dominated by this bed. We're sitting and standing wherever we can, and Jeff delivered a sermon. And I don't know that it wasn't 10 or 15 minutes long and was being translated even, so we had to pause for the translator. But I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. And I think the reason why, as I was reflecting on, man, what, why, what was that that just happened? I think it was Jeff's heart for who he was speaking to. You know, we had read books about what God was, was doing in China and the, the greatest revival in human history has taken place there uh, in the last few decades. And so he had read that and he had heard stories about what God was doing, but this was his chance when he was going to sit down actually in a, a persecuted area and look him in the eye and he gave it all he had. And it was just so powerful just to be there and to join in on that. And while I can't promise the same impact, I, I can promise a similar heart today as I come and I'm, I'm just given this opportunity uh, to share my heart with you and what the Lord has been doing in me and in my wife and in our three kids as we've been walking and journeying with you here at Wood's Edge. Um, but before I get started, I just want to say thank you. When we left China, we felt like we left the mission field and, and we didn't want to return for a myriad of reasons. But it's because of you and your pursuit of the Lord and the leadership of this church that has allowed my wife and I to step into a season that has been like none other in our entire lives. It has just been spiritual milestone after milestone. And a lot of what I'm going to share today is out of that. And that is really in large part because of you guys and what the Lord has done uh, in us because of the heart of this place. And so I just say thank you. But this morning, I'm, I'm just in a very reflective mood, if you haven't got that uh, idea already. And, and I was thinking as I was preparing for this morning, just how far I've come with the Lord and just the different episodes and seasons in my life and, uh, and in my wife's life and, and our kids. And, you know, you can't reflect for very long like that until you, you start to allude to stories uh, in the first five books of the Bible. We call it the book of law, and it's, it's the story between uh, Almighty God, God of the universe, and his chosen people, the Hebrew people, the, the nation of Israel. And there's a lot of analogies between their inter interaction with God and how he interacts with us and engages us, right? And so before I get started, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to paint the picture that there are different levels of religious accomplishment that we attain to so that those at level three are better than those at level one. It, it, it's not like that at all. But I do feel like the Lord brings us through seasons, right? You know, I've got uh, a few kids and the, my two oldest ones are just now getting into chapter books. And so every night we're reading a chapter or two. And I, and I feel like that's kind of the rhythm of how the Lord walks with us. So for instance, the Hebrews in the book of Exodus, God... In, his, in, the, in the way that only he could, in, in miraculous fashion, he goes in and he rescues his people who have no idea that they are God's people at that time, by the way. He goes in and rescues them out of slavery from a foreign king in a foreign land. In the same way, in our chapter one, 
the Lord reaches in and into our circumstances and what we are enslaved to. The Bible teaches that we are enslaved to our sin, our sin of selfishness, of uh, personal ambition, the pride of life. We are slaves to abuse and addictions and so many different things. And the Lord meets us right where we are at. And he says, you are mine. And he pulls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the Bible says. And so we can read Exodus and hear of this story and what all God did to the Hebrews. And it shines light on our own circumstance and interaction with God Almighty. And it's a cool thing. And then what did, what did God knew, do next? What was chapter 2? So he, he then takes the Hebrew people. As soon as they cross the Red Sea, he immediately meets them where they're at and goes to work saying something like this. Guys, you are no longer slaves. Just like we were singing here this morning. You are slaves no longer. I know for hundreds of years and for generations, that's what you've thought about yourself. It's not true. You are now my people, says God. You are to be the people of God. And I can just imagine them saying, um, Lord, we don't know what that means. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how to do that. And he gets right down in the trenches with them. And he says, okay, here's, let me walk you through this. So he sends, uh, he brings Moses to a mountain. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the rest of the Mosaic Law. He says, this is how you're going to do life. This is how you're going to do government. And this is how you're going to handle medical issues and military things. And, and uh, there's no throne room, right? You're not, there's no king other than myself. So uh, I'm going to teach you how to build this place called the tabernacle. And that's a place where you can meet me. That's where my presence will be. And this is how you can engage with me and talk with me. And this is how I'm going to speak to you. This is how you obey. And he walks them through all of this. So that whenever they get to the third chapter, which we're going to talk about today, which is laying hold of the promised land, they know at that point, come right, wrong, or indifferent, because they stumbled along the way, of course. But by the time they got to the point where they were saying, yes, I'm ready to take possession, they knew what it was to be a people of God. And in the same way, and I think in this season, the last few years here at Wood's Edge, I feel like the Lord has been taking us to the same place, hasn't he? He has redeemed us. He has saved us. Our old self is dead and gone, and we are now uh, a new creation. And we've got this identity that, that he has knit together in our mother's womb from before we were born. And here we go. And the Lord says, I'm right here with you. I'm going to walk you through this. And this has just been a, a really powerful truth for me and for my wife the last couple of years. But here we are. We get to the third chapter. And the Hebrew people were led by the Lord. They're on the east side of the Jordan River at this point. And we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy 11. But in Deuteronomy 11, his people are there on a high place and they're looking out on this land. And the Lord tells them, there it is. That's the reason why I pulled you out of Egypt was to possess this land. And he says the same thing to us. And I feel like myself for sure, I feel like so many of us here are in that point where we're kind of starting that third season. Where the Lord, as we walk into the identity that he has given us, the place that our feet takes us is to the edge of this new promised land. And we're, and we're standing there and saying, what next, the Lord? And God says, uh, as, as you kind of walk with him, he'll start laying not a piece of property on your heart, but he'll lay a specific people on your heart. So in mission circles, we call these target people groups that you go after. 
And if I was going to Africa, I would pick an unreached tribe and I would seek to start a a church planning movement or a disciple making movement amongst that tribe so that his name would be made great amongst them. But God here, to my surprise when I returned from China, is that God is moving here mightily. And what he is doing is he's speaking to us and he's saying, okay, we're not talking about a tribe in Africa, we're talking about your neighbors. And we're talking about your circle of friends at the YMCA and at the Starbucks. We're talking about military veterans that struggle with PTSD. Those are your people. I'm giving you possession. I'm giving you authority over that sector of our society. And you have to win them for my name's sake. But I'm telling you to go in and to possess it. For others of us, it's our industry. It's our workplaces. It's our offices. It's education, it's law enforcement, it's all of these places that the Lord says, I'm giving this to you. I redeemed you, I made you a new creation for my name's sake and for my glory, and if you want to glorify me the most, it's right there. I'm giving it to you, go and claim it for me. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So uh, I love the custom here at Wood's Edge uh, of standing when we read God's word. So if you're able... uh, We'll turn to Deuteronomy 11 and read, beginning in verse 22. Verse 22, for if you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I am commanding you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your border will be from the wilderness to Lebanon, and from the river, the river Euphrates, as far as the western sea. No man will be able to stand before you. The Lord your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse... If you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. You can be seated. So we see here that Moses is coaching his people as he hears from the Lord. And there they are. Their toes are in the promised land. And he starts off with this if-then statement. These if and a list of conditions, then you'll be ready to take possession. And the first condition is this idea in verse 22. It says, love the Lord your God. Loving the Lord is the preeminent theme throughout all of Scripture. It's all through the books of prophecy, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the New Testament, the the Gospels, the Epistles. It's the whole book is about loving God in response to what he has done for us. And appropriately so, we talk about loving the Lord all the time here at Wood's Edge. It is the first point of our mission statement, love Jesus. We have a passion to love him more and that others may as well. That's the first condition. The second condition, he says, is walk in all of his ways. There's a parallel passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30, which is a, uh, that grouping of scripture is probably one of my, my favorites in my top 10 in all the Bible. And it lists these same three conditions there. But instead of walking in all his ways, it says this. It says obeying his voice. 
which is really the same concept, right? It, it's, it's the idea that the Lord leads or he speaks and then he calls us to action as we obey. The Lord says, go, so I'm going to walk in his way. He speaks and I'm going to obey his voice. That is the second condition. And when, when I think of that phrase, I immediately think of this story uh, about my wife who grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, she knew a guy there who would raise sheepdogs. And so one day he goes out and he pays a whole lot of money for this uh, very pedigreed dog. And he's going to take him out into the pasture to do this uh, sheep dogging. And, and so the way it works is he stands there and he gives a command. And the dog is supposed to go left when he says left and right when he gives the command for right or go out further or come back and whatever the case may be. And the dog just wouldn't obey. He wouldn't obey consistently. And he was nipping at the sheep and all that. And he was just, it was just kind of trouble. And so the result was that dog got to enjoy the love of his master in a very small place. He had to keep that dog pinned up. He couldn't trust him in the field. Then a few years later, there was this rescue case, this dog that had been abused. So he gets this dog, paid very little money for, had no pedigree. And he nurses this dog back to health. And, and what was unique about this dog is it was uncharacteristically obedient and he sent this dog out into the field, and this dog just did amazingly well in the fact that he would give commands, and she would just obey immediately to the point where he would even give wrong commands just to see, and she'd look at him and kind of hesitate, and then she would obey because she loved her master. And so the result there was she then got to travel all, if you can imagine this, a dog traveling with her master all over the world joining in these sheepdog competitions and tournaments, these international tournaments. And so what she got to do was enjoy the love of her master more fully in a much bigger space, right? And so God says to us today, as I am giving you authority in a sector in your society, as I've given you this promised land, you cannot lay hold of it unless I can speak and you will obey me. This is a condition of us taking possession. The third one and the final one, he says, hold fast to him. You know, I think about the Hebrew people. Um, them taking possession of their promised land was an act of war. And so many of us, as we walk into all that God has given us, and we receive the kingdom and whatever, whatever way he wants to give it to us, it, it will not be trouble free. There's going to be hard times. And it's all worth it, but it's going to be difficult. And we are going to need to hold fast to the Lord in those times. So I think of uh, Melody Chandler. I just saw her mom here uh, today. She's over in China. And many of y'all have gone and visited. There was a short-term team from Wood's Edge that went about a month and a half ago over to visit this foster home for kids with special needs. Well, uh, Melody, chapter one, was right here in the Conroe Spring area and came to know the Lord at an early age. Chapter two, she walks in with the Lord and the Lord just starts to work in her heart and giving her from circumstances early on in her life, telling her, Melody, you're, you're a mom. You are a mother. You are, you are absolutely, all these things that are universally true for all Christians everywhere are just as true for you, but above and beyond that, you are a mother. And so coincidentally, uh, she ends up in China for this adventure and going to learn the language and kind of in between college years. And she somehow finds herself quite by accident 
uh, I say that loosely, um, in a leadership role of this little foster home for 12 special needs kids. And as she starts to walk in and lay hold of her promised land, uh, it's just been unbelievable the last three years. That little group of special needs kids is now quadrupled in size and includes a school. And, and these people are rescuing those who need to be rescued desperately every day. And she loves it. She loves what she does. And, and I remember uh, talking to her and I was like, so when did you figure out that this wasn't just a summer project for you? And she said, are you kidding me? This is who I am. This is why I was born. And so she's there now. However, it has been extremely challenging at times. And as you can imagine, there's, there's been instances when she has actually held babies in her arms who have died. Because she just didn't have the heart that they would just sit on a shelf at an orphanage, at a public orphanage there in China. She, she loves these kids. And there have been times when she absolutely was going to just crater unless she had a God that she could hold fast to. And the Lord says the same thing for us. I've got a promised land for you. A people that I've given you authority over. And for you to go in and take possession, it will be difficult, but it will be the greatest adventure you've ever participated in your entire life. And it will be good, but it will be hard. And by the way, you can't do it without me. You have to hold fast. And so the Lord gives us these three conditions. Love the Lord your God, obey his voice, and hold fast to him. That is the if part of that if-then statement. And by the way, I know from painfully from personal experience it is entirely possible for me, for Justin, to not experience all that God has for me because I choose not to. And I have been in seasons where I have chosen not to love the Lord. I know it's him speaking and I choose not to obey. And when the going gets tough, I have released my grip on who the Lord is in my life. And I have defaulted not into the promised land but there is a place, verse 26 talks about there is a blessing and a curse. There is a wilderness that we can dwell in, and it's horrible. It appears to be the easy road, but it is no good. Where It's all about just mere survival, and it's a place of restlessness. And I have found myself in seasons where I've been looking back at the deliverance of God in my life and saying, wow, wasn't that great? And even looking forward at the promises of where I believe he's taking me, but as of where I am right now today, I choose not to lay hold of any of it. And the Lord said, this is, not, this is not it. This is not what I intended for you. I am giving you a promise. I'm giving you an inheritance. Go and stake claim. And those are the three conditions that we have to meet in order to take possession. So then, moving on to verse 23, the Lord continues. If... You love me, obey me, and hold fast to me. Then, verse 23, then the Lord will drive out these nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater, greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Let me read that one more time. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. And then he goes into detail defining the boundaries of their promised land. So, if we are the Hebrew people and we have come across, we've seen this unbelievable thing that God has done in, in rescuing us from Egypt and we have crossed the wilderness and we've been hearing from the Lord just a steady dose of you are my people, you are the people of God. And then he takes us to this high place and shows us the promised land and says, I want you to take possession. I don't know about you, but what I would be doing is starting military drills 
developing some sort of strength training program, uh, starting a, uh, initiating a, a strategic board to start sending in spies to map out supply routes and, and uh, critical cities and, and sending out teams of diplomats to go and make strategic alliances. And you, you told us, God, right? We're going to take possession of this. And is that what the Lord said? He says, no. Verse 23, he said, then who? Who drove them out? He said, the Lord will drive them out from before you. It is him who accomplishes. So where does that leave us? What is our role in all of this then? He says in verse 24, every place in which you set your foot. He's saying, okay, church, my people, if you are loving, obeying, and holding fast to me, this is what you do. You step into it. You take steps of faith and you just show up. And, but what is our attitude? What is our, our countenance when we step into what God has given us? Is it one of arrogance? Is it one of just being foolhardy and headstrong and we're just going to barrel in and uh, cause tons of offense? Mm -mm. You see, as we're doing this with the Lord, as we're loving him, obeying and holding his voice, Jesus calls this in the New Testament when he's teaching his disciples, he calls this abiding in him. Right? And as God, as, as Jesus' word abides in us and we abide in him, and he says, abide in my love, it's this idea that we have got this spiritual conduit between us and the Lord. It's this idea that we're plugged into the kingdom of God and our switch is turned on for once, not just on Sunday mornings. And our eyes are open and our ears are open. And Paul causes walking according to the spirit, not doing just the natural thing and all the errands and accomplishing all the tasks that you've got, but you've, you've got your head above the clouds and you're praying, saying, God, okay, in the midst of all this, how do you want me to, how do you want to use me? What do you want to do? And so that's what the Lord, that's what the Lord calls us to. I feel like um, in, in this place, um, I'm reminded of something my dad used to say uh, all the time. My dad, I don't know if you've got somebody like this in your life, whether it's a boss or a father or what, but my dad has a lot of mottos and little mantras and uh, axioms that he says to us all the time. And one of the things in moments when I was uh, shaken and I was uh, unsure of myself, uh, he would kind of walk me through that, whether it was the first day at work or, or whatever the circumstance was. And he would say, Justin, don't forget, when you go there, when you show up, walk in like you own the place. Walk in like it's yours. And I feel like the Lord wants to say that to us this morning. Walk in like you own it. If I've given it to you, walk in like you own it. And I think of stories like Moses. Moses walked into the throne room of the most powerful man on the face of the planet at that time and said, let my people go. David did this as well. When he walked up to the, the battle lines with the Philistines and Goliath was there, David just walked in like he owned the place because he knew what the Lord had given him and his people, and that was victory over the Philistines. Later in the New Testament, we hear about Peter and John, who after Christ had died and was raised again on the third day, and, and Pentecost happens where he re God releases his Holy Spirit on his people and and Peter and John are going around Jerusalem and they're, they're causing quite a ruckus actually because they're just speaking boldly the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they're arrested, they're persecuted, they're put into prison all night long and then the next morning what happens? They put them in front of the high priest, these lowly common fishermen. He puts them in front of the high priest and all these religious rulers 
And are they intimidated at all? Not at all. They are confident because they are going, they are stepping into that promised land, which the Lord says, I am sending you where I myself am going. And it's just that confidence that comes from being with the Lord and, and being a part of what he himself is already doing. It's a wonderful thing. And so when they were there on trial and they were rebuked and chastised, they were sent out. And do y'all remember in Acts chapter 4, what was the response of the crowd? Of those that were putting them on trial? It says they were amazed. At what? At their confidence. Was it an arrogant? Was it a cocky kind of religious swag? No. It says, it says they were amazed at their confidence, recognizing that they had been with Jesus. That's it. That's this abiding with him. As we love him, obey him, hold fast to him, and step into the promised land, this place that he has said he has given us authority over, if we're doing that holding on to him, the response will be that, just amazement at your confidence and recognizing that you have been with Jesus. Okay, uh, this is where I want to get a little um, personal a little, little real with you, if I can. As I was preparing for today, um, the Lord was actually doing this, this uh, big thing in my heart. I didn't realize I had a wall up. Uh, and God was calling me to something that I couldn't obey in because he just kept hitting a brick wall in my life. And I felt like God just wanted to tear that out. And he told me something that I really did not feel comfortable with at first. And he asked me in no uncertain terms, he kept bugging me about it. He says, I want you to say this to Wood's Edge as, as well. And I said, no way. I am very uncomfortable with that. But this is what he told me. He said, Justin, do not be afraid to be great for me and my kingdom. And I said, what? And I feel like he wants to say to you this morning, do not, Wood's Edge, be afraid to be great for my name's sake, says the Lord, and for my kingdom. And I say, Lord, this is just wrong. Surely this is, I'm hearing you wrong. Shouldn't I become less so that you can become more? Shouldn't I have a position of humility? And the Lord said, no, here's the problem. Yes, that's true. But here's the problem. You are far too accepting, Justin, talking to me. You are far too accepting of a life of obscurity in, the, in my kingdom. And that hurt. And I feel like the Lord wants us to really look at that, that statement here this morning. Are we far too accepting for a life of obscurity in God's kingdom and what he's been calling us to? That word obscurity kind of jogged in my mind. Uh, Jeff, several times in the last few months, have, have quoted his longtime friend named Andy, who used to play in, in the NFL in the Kansas City Chiefs, and he gave all of that up, that life of fame, to go overseas and to do missions work. And he so famously told Jeff at one time, uh, kind of his motto, his mantra is this, flee publicity, pursue obscurity. Isn't that good? That's so biblical. We are not to seek the favor of men, but of God. Pursue obscurity. It's not all about our greatness and our fame and our namesake. It's about the Lord. But here's the problem. As if I'm being honest with you in my day-to-day -day and in the lives of when I talk to people, I feel like we as a culture are hindered by this. And that is as we pursue personal obscurity... As we say, ah, I don't want to do that because I don't want to draw attention to myself. The spot, I don't want the spotlight put on me. That we also, in doing that, if God is calling us to, 
to take possession of something. We're saying we don't want to do that because we want to avoid the spotlight. And we want to seek personal obscurity that we're also okay if Jesus Christ remains obscure in that spot, in that sector of society or wherever he's calling us to. And that's just not good. That is not what the Lord has for us. In our pursuit to not be famous, which again is good, we should be bothered if in that arena in our life, if Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, is either misunderstood, defamed, or not known at all. And God says that is not what we're talking about. Now Andy, the guy I was talking about earlier, who said flee publicity, pursue obscurity, he, you know, I'm sure nobody knows where he is now. I'm I bet most people have completely forgotten his name. But Andy is by no means obscure for the kingdom of God. God knows his name. And what he is doing over in Asia is just, I mean, I wish I had the freedom to tell you what all he's been participating in. It's unbelievable. Take my word for it. And the Lord calls us to do the same thing. Do not be afraid of the spotlight or bringing attention to yourself. If I'm telling you to go, then go. So my own walk with the Lord uh, on several instances, uh, one in particular here on a Wednesday night, the Lord has very clearly said, Justin, one of your inheritance, part of your promised land, and I'm not alone, there's many of you here that are with me, is oil and gas, my industry. And so as I'm pushing into that and, and just trying to figure out, Lord, that scares the heck out of me. What, what, what does that mean and what does that look like? He took me to my company, which is Anadarko, right here in the woodlands, and I go to work and I meet with four other guys. And so we find each other miraculously, and, and so we're praying, and we're asking God about this, and uh, a couple of these guys are from Wood's Edge, and one day we're praying about, God, what is, what is this dream that you've given us? And, and we felt like the Lord said this, I want Anadarko to be a place, I want your workplace, because you were there and because you prayed, I want it to be a place where anybody, anytime, anyone walks in the door, I don't care if it's a new hire, somebody making a sales call, whatever, I want them to encounter me and my love and my power. And we said, yes, Lord, to that. And we said, okay, well, how is that supposed to look? How are we supposed to do that? And he told us, just like everywhere else on earth, all throughout human history, it's going to be the same in your workplace. It's going to look like this. Many small relational communities that we call small groups here in the U.S., but in the persecuted world, we call them house churches, that champion, not knowledge acquisition about who God is and, and what the Bible says only, but also in obedience to the words of Christ. And that's what he's going to do. And we just started to daydream about this and say, God, you know, this is, this is going to be crazy. So we're, we just push in and we start taking little steps of, by discipling others and starting small groups and discipling them to start their own small groups. And, and we just hope and pray that God's going to start a mighty movement. And it's going to go outside of my company and into the industry. And I'm not alone. There's others doing this in other companies. But, man, wouldn't it be great if God would propel his gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, all over the world as my industry exports professionals all over the world? Isn't that a great thought? And so we were st- thinking, again, strategically in our own strength. We were like, well, we've got to have a name. We've got to have a T-shirt. We've got to have a logo. And we've got to have an organization. And we've got we to market this deal. We've got to brand it. And a guy spoke up, and he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, Wouldn't it be great if God did all of that, if he touched the lives of hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people, and when it comes to pass, those people have no idea who we are. 
and they don't even know our names. And we just said, yes, that is it. Flee publicity. Pursue personal obscurity. But do not be content, church, with Christ and his kingdom remaining obscure in the areas, in the circles of influence that he is calling us to go to. Amen? All right. So in conclusion, this is, this is so important, not only for us and for us being able to, to step into that abundant life. I'm telling you, this is going to be the greatest adventure that we've ever been on. This is going to be wonderful. But the Lord is calling us to do this for his kingdom's sake. And I think about the, the vision of the elders here at Woods Edge, that we all disciple, that there's 10 disciple-making movements, that there's a spirit of ongoing revival in our area, and specifically that Houston become known as a city of God. Well, how do we do that? That is just this huge God thing. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. But when you read in the Old Testament, go ahead and do it. Read through Joshua and the book of Judges. We see finally after the Hebrew people have decided to say yes to God and they're through with their 40 years of wandering in the desert and they're just about to cross the Jordan River, they do not in one gulp possess the promised land all at once, do they? They, as tribes, as sons of Israel, have to go in and stake claim to their specific inheritance, to their peace. And they even have to join one another and come alongside one another and say, hey, you need to help me take this land and then I will come and join you and I'll help you take this land. But the truth is, is that each of them had to lay hold of that which God had given them authority over. And then together when all the tribes had done that, then did the people of God inhabit and possess the land of God. And it was a wonderful thing. That's how Houston is going to become known as the city of God. I know, I know no other way than what I read here is that those of us who have a heart for the petroleum industry, that we rise up and that we take steps of faith, simple, faith-filled steps of faith, and that people in the medical industry do the same and amongst education and governance and law enforcement and amongst uh, international college students and refugees and foster kids and uh, military veterans and prisoners in Navasota. This is how it's going to look. And this is our response this morning. May your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. May it come. We say yes to him when he sends us. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, uh, we love you. We love what you're doing in our area. We love what you're doing in our church. We love what you're doing in our hearts. And we feel like you are calling us into a place where through faith and obedience, you, God Almighty, will dispossess the land that once belonged to the enemy. In Houston and in our hearts and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces. God, we pray that we would see this in our generation and in our time. And this isn't something that's so far off and so far-fetched that we won't have a chance to participate with you, Father, in what you're doing. Daddy, Give us, grant us the grace to be able to join in with what you're doing. And we pray, Lord, that in our hearts that you would drive us to love you, to obey your voice, and to hold fast to you. In your name we pray, amen.